Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Book of Revelation, session 22 is entitled The Heavenly Symphony. And what we're going to do tonight that's a little bit different than what we did uh, last week. Last week, we talked about the throne room And we were kind of describing uh, what it looks like visually, okay? What we're going to do tonight is we're going to describe more of what it sounds like. Uh, What's happening in that throne room? What is it that it's, uh, what is the the audible uh, or audio experience like when you're in the throne room? And so we're going to look at what the book of Revelation says about that. And so I think this will be pretty cool, actually. I've loved prepping uh, this session but it's called the Heavenly Symphony, and uh, that's not a biblical term. That's one I you know, made up or heard somewhere or something, uh, but I think uh, aptly defines and describes what we're talking about. But before we start talking about the song aspect, I want to lead with God being beautiful and everything about him being beautiful, everything that comes out of him, everything that he creates, uh, his appearance, his throne room. Everything about God is beautiful. And we want to be thinking of him uh, in that light as the beautiful God who, who beautifully interacts with our emotions, who beautifully created the universe. I mean, everything about the way that he does things is done with beauty, with excellence, with life, with truth. All those things are true, but with beauty. And so even the way that he's created each person is so different and unique and, and a beautiful um, just expression of his, of his variance and of his capacities. And so we want to talk about God as the beautiful God. And I, I want to point out Psalm 27.4, a verse we know well. We got half of you in the room probably have t-shirts that say the verse on it. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze on the beauty of the Lord. This was David declaring that God is not just one to gaze on, not just one who can be seen, but one whose beauty can be seen, one whose beauty can be observed and enjoyed and experienced. We've got here a couple other verses, Song of Solomon, then also in the Psalms, the fact of God's beauty. I just want us getting, I want us thinking about God as the beautiful God so that when we start talking about the music, we're imagining the music in relationship to his beauty. (coughs) Song of Solomon 5.16, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Psalm 90, verse 17, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. The beauty of God. I just want us thinking about this God who's sitting on this throne in heaven. If he is altogether beautiful, his throne room is not ugly and looking like a sewer drain, okay? If he is altogether beautiful, His throne room is altogether beautiful, which again, we looked at a good bit last week. His beauty is visible. Uh, Psalm 50 verse 2, from Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. He's perfect in beauty. The branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious. Just again, all these verses about the beauty of the Lord. So hopefully we got it. We're clear. God is beautiful. But I want us to now take that to its next uh, uh, inference. It's next, um, you know, a point of, of 
taking. I don't, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Whatever it is that would flow out of that purpose or that reality, God is beautiful. Now related to what's around his throne, again, David said, I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. We can encounter this beauty. It's not just that, the, that he is beautiful. It's that we can interact with this beautiful God. We can interact with the nature, uh, with his nature of beauty. Ephesians 2, 6, and then Colossians 3, 1, talk about us interacting with God on that throne. And the God who's seated on that throne is beautiful. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. These heavenly realms are beautiful. This one who's sitting on the throne is beautiful. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, being raised with him, that we have access to experience the beauty of God, not just that he's beautiful far off, but that we've been seated with him in that beautiful place with this beautiful God. Well, God's beauty is being made known in that throne room. And the part that we're going to look at tonight is that that beauty is being expressed not just visually, but is being expressed in music, is being expressed in song. And this is just, this is fascinating. To think about God being a, a poet and a, and a psalmist and, and him having love songs that are being sung to him and he's, he's integrated in the love songs that it's happening in heaven. The night and day song, if you visit heaven, if you ha- get to have a heavenly encounter, which I hope all of you do, that'd be fun. I'm talking about this side of eternity. If you get to go to heaven at any point, you have a heavenly encounter. The song you're going to hear being sung around the throne is this one. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. If you go to heaven, you're going to hear that song because that is the song of heaven. That is the song of the day. That is the song that is sung around the throne and there are no doubt other songs, but this is the kind of the staple one. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This song is being sung forever and ever. I want to say this song is being enjoyed forever and ever. You ever hear a song? You're just like, man, this song is awesome. I love this song. Kind of brings your heart alive. You sing, you find yourself tapping, even if you've got absolutely no rhythm whatsoever with either your right or your left foot. They are just tapping to the song. You just love it. This song is being enjoyed forever and ever around the throne room. It is a song uh, that is uh, emanating out of the throne room. There is continual worship day and night. They never stop saying. It's continual. It's not just a song that happens every now and then. This throne room with the perfectly beautiful one seated on the throne, he's surrounded by perfect beauty. He is perfectly beautiful. He is surrounded by non-stop worship music. It is a worship atmosphere that we're talking about. So the songs sung around the throne, they're declaring who he is. They're talking about his beauty. They're in the presence of his beauty. Have you ever seen somebody? You're just like, man, they are gorgeous. Like that is a, that is a stunning looking individual. All of these around the throne, they are caught. They are just, they are enthralled. They're captivated by the beauty of this one on the throne. And so the songs are going forth and the songs are declaring his beauty. The songs are declaring his excellence and his worth. It's an atmosphere of worship. Now, 
That's all our backdrop. Now I want to talk about the instruments of the symphony, okay? We know there's worship music going on, but what's making up that worship music? If there's a symphony going on, when you think of a symphony, it's not one of our Devo sets. It's the polar opposite of our Devo sets, okay? Currently, most of our schedule has got one wholehearted individual up there for two hours on a single worship instrument, either the guitar or the keys. A symphony is not that. A symphony is everybody all at once together with instruments and voices and each knowing their part. And you want to think about the symphony, how chaotic it would be if you had all those instruments, but you didn't have coordination. So you got all the pretty instruments but there's nobody leading the thing, and so everything just kind of blends together and just sounds like a jumbled mess. The symphony, the beauty of the symphony isn't just in the variance of the instruments. It's in the coordination of those instruments. It's in the timing. It's in the, the crescendo moments and the, and the low moments and the bassy moments and all the different moments that make up the, the beautiful tapestry of a symphony. That's what we want to be thinking about happening around the throne. It's not chaos. It's not just loud, uh, unintelligible sounds. It is a symphony that is so beautiful that if your eyes were closed, you would still be taken back with the total beauty of God just by what you're hearing. If you just had access to only your ears and your eyeballs didn't work, you would be blown away by the sound, by the symphony. In fact, I would like to say that whatever orchestra, whatever symphony, whatever, you know, the best of the best throughout human history related to music, I would say is only a shadow of what it is that is occurring before the throne. So whatever Bach concerto or whatever that you can think of is of a lesser degree of awesome than what is occurring around the throne on the worst day. The worst set in heaven is infinitely better than the best set on earth, okay? So the sounds and the, again, the, just the way that it comes together, plus another really cool factor, this worship symphony never stops. And the part I want to make now, or the point I want to make at this uh, juncture is that if you practice a lot, you get better. All of these uh, musicians and singers were awesome the first day, and they never stopped practicing. So they all have got the flow of, of the worship spirit right there. They know, oh, he's coming in. It's time for me to dial down. Oh, they're coming. Oh, look at all those girls that are singing down. Oh, the man, not, oh, I love it when that living creature chimes in. I mean, there, all this stuff's going on, and they all just know how to flow, and it's beautiful. I want to encourage you to spend some time in the prayer room on your face or whatever you do, imagining the sounds of the symphony of heaven because it is equally as mind-blowing as what you see visually. All right, so let's look at who's involved. What's, what's going on? I mean, biblically, what do we know? What do we see from the book of Revelation? Who is involved in this symphony and what's it look like? The countless angels declaring his worth. Look at this, Revelation 5, 11 through 12. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. How many is many? They numbered thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. We talked about this before. That's 100 million. It's at least 100 million. I think that these terms are actually describing just an incalculable number. John is looking around. He's like, I've never, I, I don't even know what I'm looking at. 
It's thousands of times thousands. No, no, I, it just keeps going. It's 10,000 10, times, 100,000 times, 100 billion times a billion. He sees an incalculable number of angels. But he says, they encircle the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice, they're saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. A hundred million, low number. Let's just go with the low number. A hundred million angels encircling the throne, and they're all crying out, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now, I just want want you to imagine an angel, just one, in heaven who was given permission by God to be in God's presence, okay? If you're given permission to be in God's presence by God, and you've got this whole worship symphony thing going on, when this angel opens his mouth and says stuff, it probably doesn't sound like, you know, a redneck that didn't graduate kindergarten, okay? I mean, it's just probably like articulate. I'm thinking an incredible voice. I'm just imagining that this angel had to pass some sort of voice test, okay, in order to be in there, and that it's not all jumbled and weird. The, th- the sound of a hundred million voices at once, oh, but they're angels, I think that it would be wrong to imagine this as a monotone, you know, lowing chant. Like, they're all bored. Worthy's the lamb. You know, the slain guy. These angels are singing. These angels are in symphony. These angels are in sync by the Holy Spirit. And when these angels are saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain, It would be far more appropriate for you to imagine the beautiful, echoing, melodious sound of an angelic voice closer to singing, if not full-on singing, than it would be to imagine them all just saying, lame-like, these words, okay? So whether they are singing every time they say this or not, I'm sure the sound sounds much more like song than it does like talk, okay? There's 100 million of them, at least. That's the low number. The 24 elders singing. Now here we've got this, Revelation 5, 8 through 9. The 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each of them had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. Prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. The elders around the throne are worship leaders. So you know how I was talking about earlier a symphony with no uh, conductor? In some way, these 24 elders, and if you've got 100 million angels at least, you better have more than one dude that knows what's going on. I think these 24 elders, as part of what they're doing, they're serving as the conductors of the symphony. I think these 24 elders are sharing the responsibility in some way, but we know that they're singing, and next we know that they're playing these harps. They're singing a new song. They've got these harps in their hands. These these harps are not just like a badge of honor, like... I sang a really good song one time a hundred years ago and I was given this harp as proof. These harps are 24 musical instruments around the throne. I bet you they're all tuned differently. I bet you they're, all, they're maybe even different in sizes and, and they hit different you know, uh, you know, uh, notes and chords and things. I doubt it's just the same boring harp. They probably look different. They probably sound a little different, but they all sound perfectly uh, harmonious together. I mean, it's just... This is cool. These 24 elders have harps and they're playing these harps before the throne. So you want to imagine a version of the throne room in heaven 
that's got at least 24 musical instruments playing together or, you know, in different times and coming in and the, the really deep harps, they play these parts and the, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm just imagining these 24 harpists, they're playing together. They're God's main worship leaders. These guys know what they're doing. And so you've got the sounds of these harps. And again, you just want to imagine they're surrounding the throne. So it's, the acoustics are probably incredible. The bass sound and the, the way that the sounds are captured and, and flow together. And oh, just incredible. All the voices who praise him. Well, whether the hundred million angels, and again, that's the low number, whether they are actually singing or they just are talking in beautiful sounding angelic melodious voices or whatever, whether they're singing or not, one thing we can be for sure of is there are times where 100% of the population of heaven is singing. Revelation 5.13, I heard every creature in heaven if heaven has toads, them toads sing. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all that is in them, singing. Now John is in heaven having this encounter. And he's hearing every creature in heaven and beyond. Hearing every creature in heaven singing. So every single living thing in heaven sings at least at this point and maybe at specific points. So there's, there's times where, can you just imagine, what would it sound like if you visited a city and everybody was told, you're fired from the city unless you sing at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. You're, you have to leave. We'll never let you back in here unless you sing at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. But I'm only three years old. You better learn how to sing because you're, you're fired from the city if you're not singing at 8 o'clock tomorrow night. And 100% of the city starts singing. And you're singing in one part of the city and then you get to go in a helicopter and be overhead and hear it. And you're singing because you don't want to get kicked out of the city. And then, you know, then you're on the outskirts and you're singing, you're hearing it. And then you're, you're just like capturing different, you go to the city square and you're hearing it singing. What does it sound like when the entire city of heaven is singing? This is so cool. Well, let me add to that thunderous crashes and lightning and rumblings. Revelation 4, 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Now, it seems very incongruent to me that while this storm, because this storm is happening, there's no question of this storm. This storm is occurring around the throne. So whatever version of the throne you're thinking of, make sure to include a thunderstorm, okay? Because that's what's happening in conjunction to the throne. Now, we know that that's true. It seems incongruent to me. It seems impossible. It seems like God's working against himself. If these thunders, rumblings, lightnings are out of sync with the symphony, I think that these rumblings and flashes of lightning and clash and thunders and rumble, whatever, I think these things help to uh, emphasize components of the symphony. Like imagine that moment if you've ever been in a meeting and somebody's preaching and then the lightning strikes and the rumbling thunder at just the right moment in the message, you know? Imagine that in the middle of the symphony. And now these rumblings, they're not just accidental, oh, we couldn't hear what the angel's singing. It was too loud. The, the thunder drowned everybody out. I don't think so. I think God who's in complete control of every storm and you better believe the one that's raging around him, that's coming from him, 
I think that these rumblings, even the flashes of lightning, I think that they're all part of the symphony. Now, I don't know exactly how that works, but again, it just seems so incongruent that you've got this beautiful symphony and then, oh yeah, God is so eruptious, just things bust out of him and mess up the whole symphony and nobody can hear what's going on. It seems not it to me. So, but whatever, it's part of it, okay? Whatever's going on, these rumblings, which are distinct from the peals of thunder, so the rumbling, what is a rumbling? Like God's belly grumbling, rumbling, he's hungry, I don't know. Rumblings and peals of thunder. So those are two different things, and they're coming out of the throne along with lightning flashes, okay? Really paints a picture. Let me keep going. The intercession of Jesus, Hebrews 7, 25 tells us that Jesus is living always to make intercession for the saints. Now, if he's always making intercession, it means he's praying, he's talking out loud. But he's sitting on a throne in the midst of all this worship. Some version of the symphony includes either the whispers or the declarations. I think it's probably everything. Jesus has got a really... Uh, dynamic prayer life. I doubt that he's always in one mode only, only whispering under his breath. There's probably times where he's declaring in the middle of the symphony, he's declaring an intercession and prophesying over the church. And so part of this worship symphony is actually the prayer meeting led by the key prayer leader of all the generations, Jesus Christ. He's on this throne interceding and so there are times, I'm sure, where he's quieter. There's times where he's, you know, maybe not praying, you know, in a way that everybody can see, but there's times where he definitely is and times where he's probably shouting. So the prayer meeting in heaven, the worship meeting in heaven is a prayer meeting led by the great prayer leader, Jesus. The heartfelt cry of holy, holy, holy coming from the living creatures. Each of the four living creatures never stop saying Never. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy. So if you're in heaven, you're hearing it. And the way that I've heard others describe it, that I I think I believe, is that these living creatures are calling to one another. Holy, and the other one says, holy, holy, holy. Instead of all of them just going, holy, 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 holy. They're calling one to another. It's a symphony. They're in, they're in, con, in congruence with one another. They're, they're calling to one another. So the heart, but it's not just like, holy, holy, holy. It's not unheard. These are declarations of the character of God from the four living creatures that were created to do this very thing. I think it's basey. I think it messes with you every time. I think these holies are like really, really powerful. They're declaring the worth and the honor and the glory of Jesus. And it never stops. The Father's voice. Don't forget the Father. He's sitting there on that throne too. You know what? There are not many occasions where we see the Father speaking. I don't mean none. I just mean it's not as many as you'd think. There are not many occasions where we see the Father on the throne talking. But the ones that I found, the majority of them are pretty brief. He says a lot in a very short phrase or sentence. I'll give you a couple of examples. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. 
Heaven was opened, and a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. That's all he said. This is the father talking. You'd think he's going to give this long discourse. He doesn't. He says just a few words. And he gets, he gets a job done. Believe me. Well, Revelation 16, 17, all he says is, it is done. That's all he says. He, that's all he says. Most of the time, when the fa- most of the time, as I see it, <clears throat> when the father is speaking from his throne in this context, it's short phrases. And he is accomplishing a world within a phrase or two. I mean, he is saying so much. So I don't think the father talks very much. Honestly, I, I think he lets the Holy Spirit get a lot of the work done. I think he lets the son get the glory. I, I think the father is very calculated. And when he opens his mouth, it's a really big deal. And so he's on the throne and it's this throne. It's this throne room. It's not some other throne room. It's not some other place. It's in this context that he says, it is done. It's in this context that he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's in this context. He's on that throne in this holy, holy, holy atmosphere. I think he doesn't say stuff very often, but when he does, it's a really big deal. And it's kind of like he grabs the mic, you know, and all eyes on him, okay? And so there are times where the father interjects into the midst of the worship and the prayer meeting. And he says something. And whatever he says is going to be awesome. And just everybody's eyes and attention. And then everybody's going to fall down. It's going to be awesome. So the father speaks. Okay. Now I want to go a different direction. That I want to add in the less obvious sounds. What do you mean less obvious sounds? Well, all those were pretty obvious. The father speaking, that's pretty obvious. The four living creatures yelling or whatever they're doing, holy, holy, holy. But there are a whole lot more noises happening around that throne that I believe are part of the symphony that at just a a first read-through, you might not necessarily think of them as noises. You might not necessarily think of them as sounds. But it's clear that these things are happening around the throne and the inference is these things make sounds. And these sounds are part of the ambiance, part of the, the, the presence, part of the, the symphony, the, the tapestry of sound that's happening around the throne. And so, yeah, I, they're less obvious, but the implications are, are there. For sure, they're strong. So I just want to point it out. The whispers of the saints. We know that these 24 main worship leaders are holding a harp and they're singing but they're also holding bowls and we're told that the bowls are filled with incense and that incense isn't just incense, it's the prayers of the saints. It seems to me that somehow as we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, when we pray, our voices appear before the throne related to those bowls. Maybe it's just a hush and a whisper, but the prayers of the saints constantly going up into the throne room. They're going into those bowls which are before the throne. And remember, those bowls are in the hands of the primary worship leaders of heaven. So the primary worship leaders, they're singing and then they've got these harps and then they've just got these bowls that make no noise. But the thing that's in the bowls are audible prayers. 
I think that the whispers of the saints, some, some area, some way, the whispers of the saints, and every now and then I imagine, this is just my you know, heavenly imagination or whatever, just trying to go there. I imagine every now and then one of these prayers is heard louder and actually maybe inspires a chorus. One of these prayers is like it comes up and it's bigger, it's brighter, it's, it's heavier, it's something. It just comes up and it's heard. It's heard above the others and they, they just, they tune their ear and, and now that's Jesus's point of intercession. I just imagine some version of that, that every now and then one of these prayers arises and it, it carries just a little bit more weight than some of the others or something, some version of that. The swirling of the throne wheels. You go, what? Throne wheels? We looked at it last week. This throne has gigantic wheels. Gigantic wheels. Wheels are for spinning. You don't just have a wheel and go, look, a wheel. It's never turned once in its life. Wheels turn. When giant wheels turn, it makes noise. It whirls. It just so happens these wheels are also on fire. So now you've got flaming whirling wheels, okay? I'm just saying, if you were listening hard enough, you'd be able to hear it. When these wheels are whirling, you would hear, hear the whirling sound of wheels because that's what wheels do, especially giant ones, okay? The gushing of the water of life. You don't have the river of the water of life flowing out of the throne and it making no noise. It is, this is not a little stream. This is the river of the water of life. This is the gushing river and it comes out of the throne I imagine it at the throne in the midst of all this. I imagine it as a raging river that's raging and gushing and the noises and the crashes of water. Think about how serene and cool it is to be at a, out in the woods somewhere where there's a, a sizable river and the river's going and it's hitting rocks and crashing and just to sit there and hear the sound. It's awesome. Those sounds, and probably far better, are before the throne. The crackle of the lamps blazing. It says there are seven lamps before the throne, and it says they're blazing, not, not twinkling, not a candle that's barely lit, flickering, blazing. If you've ever seen a blazing fire, you've also heard it. If you have seen a blazing fire, you have also heard it. Because fires that are blazing make noises. So now you've got the crackling and the blazing of these seven lamps before the throne. That's part of the sound. So whatever else is going on there, you've also got seven lamps blazing and blazing lamps make noise. So imagine that crackle. You're before a raging fire. You hear it, the crackling and the, the, and the wind kind of blowing through it and pieces of wood and stuff crackling. You hear it, imagine that. That's part of the symphony that's happening before the throne. I want to add in the clinking of crowns. It says that the 24 elders, they constantly, like forever. They get their crowns and then some seconds or minutes or months or we don't know how often. We really don't know the span between the last time they laid their crown down and the next time they laid their crown down. But it is a part of the forever reality. And if you've got a crown and you're laying, <clears throat> you're laying that metallic crown on pavement, it makes sounds. The little clink of the sound of that 
crown hitting the pavement. I'm just saying, if you've been in heaven for a thousand years around that throne and you hear that sound, you know that sound because you've heard it a billion times before. The clink of the crown down on the pavement. Oh, what's happening? Well, it's one of the elders. He's laying his crown. How do you know? I've heard that sound so many times. I know exactly what that sound is. It's part of the tapestry of the sounds around the throne room. You seeing it? All right, well, I'm going to spend two minutes on the rest of this, and I know that's totally unfair, but you're just going to have to deal with it. Tonight, the focus was on the sounds, but I want to propose to you that part of the symphony is the complete experience of the throne room and not only the sounds. I want to give you that part of the symphony is the colors of heaven. That part of the symphony is the images of heaven, the images of the angels whirling past, the elders throwing themselves down, the elders leading worship on the hearts, the four living creatures gazing on the Lord. What does it look like when these living creatures gaze on the Lord? The glory of the Son of Man radiating, or ra- yeah, just radiance from the throne. I want to propose to you that part of this symphony are the fragrances. These four living creatures, they don't smell like elephants. These are God's like main creatures, okay? Something about them, there's a, I promise you they don't smell bad in heaven. They probably smell unbelievably good. Maybe that's really the source of all human perfume. Is it's, we all just got all these ideas from the living creatures before the throne of God, okay? These living creatures have a scent. The incense of the saints, the fragrance of God, the fruit of the tree of life, the smoke from the altar, the atmosphere of heaven, his tangible presence, the permeation of his love, the feeling of unspeakable joy of being near him, the powerful feelings of heaven, the wind from the wings. These living creatures have wings, and when they bring their wings up and down, there's wind that comes off their wings. Part of the symphony, part of the experience is feeling the wing wind from these living creatures. Maybe a feather lands in your face. The rumblings and the thunder, you feel the base of the thunder. You're feeling it. The unusual textures to experience, those feathers from the living creatures, the stones of the great street, the softness of the white linen robes, the softness of it, the smooth frames of the elders' thrones. You walk by, and I love to walk by and pace here, and I typically, I'll, I'll run my hand across these six chairs. It's just something I like to do. Just run my hand across them, walking through the throne room, running your hand down the side of one of the elders' thrones. The entire experience of heaven is a symphony, and not just the sounds. All of it together is the picture, the whole picture. Okay, so now let's break into a couple of groups. How many groups are we going to do tonight? So the, the uh, reality of day and night, the four living creatures never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. How are there other songs being sung? How are there other uh, components? Um, well, two ways uh, to uh, put that together. One is they could be loud at some times and quiet at others. And what a really cool baseline for, you know, we've got sometimes we do double choruses over one another and stuff. Uh, what a really cool baseline of just the constant declaration of who he is, okay? But the second way to approach that, which I'm fine with that, 
with just that sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's loud, sometimes it's the main thing being sung, sometimes it's the support. Uh, but the other side of that would be um, if the thought process of they never stop and now you're viewing eternity instead of seconds and it's like, okay, so they're singing holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty and they're, they're drawing it out and there are pauses, but they're going to sing it again. And then there's a pause, but then they're going to sing it again. And if the, the, dec- the, the truth statement of they never stop singing it, well, doesn't necessarily have to mean there are no pauses between them saying it, so long as they say it again, and then they say it again, and they say it again. I'm more in favor of their constantly, um, but there is also the time where we see uh, the father coming out of the temple, or, or rather, he kicks everybody out of the temple in heaven. I think it's uh, chapter seven or eight, and um, he, he kicks everybody out of the temple, and it says that there was silence in heaven for a moment. And so even in that moment, we know that that challenges the, they never stop saying holy, holy, holy in the, like, the legalistic, they can't stop ever once because we know that they do because there's silence in heaven uh, for that moment. So that then lends to uh, there being variants and stuff. So I think there's a lot of that that we'll understand, you know, more later. But uh, again, just turning the volume down on the living creatures allows you to then have somebody else sing a chorus um, or something. So, uh, Caitlin. What do I think is the loudest sound and why? I don't know. That's a great question. I, I think that for there to be the, the symphony component, I think that, uh, that I don't think there is a one always it's the loudest thing. I think that anything, depending on how the volume levels are adjusted on everything else, could wind up being the loudest thing in order to serve its moment in the spotlight in the symphony. So... Um, so maybe there are some things that are normally loudest, but maybe the right thing for that particular moment in the worship service is the crackling of the seven lamps to receive the moment of emphasis. And so everything else gets turned down in order for those, for that moment, for the, the revelation of the sevenfold spirit of God that's before the throne, that's burning, it's blazing. Maybe one of the songs, one of, maybe one of the moments that the, the symphony is highlighting is actually needing for everybody to hear the crackling of those lamps. But in order to do that, everything else has to be quiet. So in that moment, they're the loudest. I'm just making this up as I go. But I don't, I don't think there's one thing that's always the loudest thing. I think that the beauty of what's happening here is you've got so many different contributors. And there are times where that contributor needs to be center stage. And that contributor needs to be, normally they're really loud, and that need to be toned down. So I, I think a lot of it has to do with the volume control on the avioms on all uh, one billion participants in the symphony that God can at any point turn up or down uh, in, in great variety and beauty and glory and just the soundtracks that are written in heaven are so multifaceted and awesome. So I know I kind of dodged the question. I don't think that there is one thing that's the loud thing. 
I think that everything probably at some point or another is the loud thing for the purpose of the symphony. So, Andy, question? So uh, the question is, um, the verses that say he's beautiful and the verse that says that there was nothing in his human form that we would be attracted to him uh, that, that we have. Um, so how do those two things work together? Well, one, in his human form in an unglorified body, well, I'm not really excited about my unglorified body, but man, when you guys see me next level, I'm going to be party. Okay, you guys are going to look at me and go, that dude has got it going on, okay? So Jesus now has a resurrected body and he's in heaven and the father always uh, was in his perfect glory. Um, I think that part of the reason that Moses couldn't look at the face of God was because he was so beautiful, he died. And so God put his hand over Moses in the rock and said, you cannot see my face, you will die. I am that stunning. I am that outstanding and beautiful and glorious and add a hundred other, you know, uh, adjectives that the beauty of the Lord is so incredible. So, um, so I don't see any conflict between Jesus walking around, not trying to draw attention to himself as God. In fact, trying very much to blend in with the rest of humanity so that it takes the eyes of faith to see that he's God. And Jesus in his resurrected form as the lamb that everybody knows, that's the man in heaven, in his perfect radiance. Um, I don't see any conflict there. Uh, but what does he look like? No eye has seen, no mind can comprehend. So however awesome you can come up with, you haven't even scratched it. You've not even gotten close. And I think it's the glory of man to, ser to search out a matter. So I think it's actually our glory to reach for a scratch. I think it's our glory to try to reach to just even get the faintest whispers of how great he is. And so I think it's good for us to try to reach for the, the smallest because there is much more available to us than we have yet seen or known or encountered. I mean available to us now in this age. And the reachers are the ones that get more. And the ones that don't reach won't get but it's not because it wasn't gettable. It's because we weren't reaching. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.